Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Please be advised that the descriptions in this podcast are graphic. I was already up and getting dressed. I can't remember whether he told me whether it was three or four. I think he told me it was four. And I told him I was on the way. It was Christmas Eve. And I remember driving out Highway 50, and way up ahead I could see blue lights and headlights, and I remember seeing the sign, Ziegler Furniture Store. Dr. Guillermo Ruiz, Associate Medical Examiner, was there. So I went in with him. In front of the office door, there lay a young, attractive woman, except there was a big blood clot around her head and shoulders. She had on a long coat. She was holding a tissue in her hand and had a a peaceful expression on her face and there was a bullet hole in the back of her head. And from there, we went a little further down one of the aisles. There behind a big stuffed chair squatted what appeared to be a middle-aged woman who, in contrast, had a very frightened look on her face. And apparently she had held up her hand to protect herself and the bullet had gone through her hand into her head. We walked a little further back into the furniture store and there lay a middle-aged man. I remember seeing a bullet hole in his ear because the blood, the, the bullet had gone through his head and sprayed the blood out across the floor. And we went little further back and here is a black man horribly beaten about the face and lots of blood. There was by him a metal cash box 
and sticking out of his pockets were some cash bills, tens or twenties, I'm not sure what. I saw the clock on the wall and the bullet had gone through the back of the clock, separated a couple of gears and stopped it. So we knew we had an accurate time that the whole thing had occurred. We talked about it and uh, Dr. Ruiz uh, and I finally parted and I, I said, good night, doctor. Merry Christmas. And he says, good night, Bob. Feliz Navidad. And that was it. I'm Leonora LaPeter Anton, and this is Blood and Truth, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Chapter 1. Could he be innocent? Eight years ago, I pulled into the parking lot of Union Correctional Institution, which was surrounded by miles of curly razor wire and flanked by cow fields. I cleared security, passing through no fewer than ten different doors, until I arrived in a visiting room that some people call the Death Row Cafe. On this day, it was crowded with three dozen death row inmates who had killed with guns and concrete blocks in their bare hands. They sat with lovers, friends, grandchildren. I'm a reporter for the Tampa Bay Times Enterprise team, and I'd come to meet a man who had lived in a six-by-nine-foot cell on Florida's death row since 1976. His name was Tommy Ziegler. He'd been sentenced to death for killing four people in a central Florida furniture store, including his wife, in-laws, and a customer on Christmas Eve 1975, the murders described at the beginning of this podcast by the man who prosecuted Ziegler. Only one other man has been on death row longer than Tommy Ziegler. Ziegler's case was one of the most notorious in Florida history. A book and TV programs have covered it in all of its complexity. Dozens of sleuths have poked holes, finding evidence not known when Ziegler was tried. In 2018, I got the chance to spend months going deeper into the story. The investigation, the trial, the sentence. Something's happened that wouldn't happen today. A rookie detective decided within hours that Ziegler was guilty. And Ziegler faced trial six months after the crime, even though the defense attorney pleaded for more time. Police and prosecutors failed to turn over reports and witness statements key witnesses would later be contradicted. The trial judge called a distraught juror's doctor who sent over Valium during deliberations. And there was no sophisticated forensic science back then, no CSI. Ziegler's case was like one of those balls of rubber bands, thick and twisted and layered. Forty years later, people who talk about the case are afraid, angry, indignant, devastated, horrified. Many of those involved have died. The judge, one of Ziegler's lawyers, Ziegler's mother and father, at least eight jurors, the key witness against Ziegler. But a younger generation is exploring the case, daughters and nieces trying to figure out what happened with their relatives. Ziegler still insists he's not guilty, and he has a devoted group of supporters who think he's innocent. Police insist he was the killer. The debate rages on year after year. There is a way to get answers. DNA testing of Ziegler's clothes, the victim's fingernail scrapings, the guns. 
Scientists say the evidence will tell a story even now, all these years later. But for more than two decades, prosecutors in the state of Florida have fought nearly every one of Ziegler's requests to test the evidence. Judges have agreed with the arguments against testing. Just about everyone I talk to believes that the state should allow Ziegler to test the evidence for DNA, to take a fresh look at the old case. I mean, shouldn't we be certain? Keep in mind, Florida has wrongfully imprisoned at least 28 men on its death row, the most of any state in the country. Those men were behind bars for a combined 201 years. So why is Florida so intent on keeping Ziegler from testing the evidence? That question drives Ray McEachern nuts. Are you a resident? I know about this. Here, I'll give you this if you like a copy. This is into paper today. I don't know if you have a pocket to stick it in. He didn't kill him. That's the point. He was convicted, but he's innocent. (laughs) It was a winter day earlier this year, and Ray McEachern was riding down the sidewalk in Winter Garden, a historic railroad town in central Florida, on his shiny electric scooter. The front was obscured by a large frame sign. It read, $25,000 reward. Weekday tourists and locals heading to lunch in this town of 44,000 glanced curiously at McEachern as he stopped by the First Baptist Church, then the museum, then the liquor store, and City Hall. He had driven two hours to get here from his retirement home. He was on a mission to shake loose information from the red brick streets. McEachern is retired, a former program analyst for the Office of Economic Opportunity in Washington, D.C., He says he's now a citizen advocate for Ziegler. He thinks police and prosecutors too quickly seized on Ziegler as the killer and then withheld information that might have raised doubts about the case. He thinks it's only fair that Ziegler's attorneys be allowed to test the evidence to see if the DNA will provide support for Ziegler's story, that he was the victim of a robbery attempt, that he didn't kill his wife or his in-laws, that they always had the wrong man. You're the owner? I'm Ray McEachern. I've got a uh, flyer in today's paper. At the liquor store, the owner stared at McEachern blankly as he talked. It's about a a gentleman that owned a business here 40 years ago who's now on death row, and he's an innocent man that has never been given a fair trial in all of those 40 years. And really, the only thing that can help him is if the people of this town would actually write to the governor and say, at least test the DNA. That's all we're asking for, really. Before you execute him, test the DNA. Why wouldn't any governor be willing to do that? Because here's an innocent man. I've met the guy. He himself was shot during the murders. He was a totally innocent man. His wife was killed. Her parents were killed. And yet he was convicted of the murder. No Florida death row inmate has begged the courts for DNA testing more than Tommy Ziegler. His lawyers have asked six times. After his second request 17 years ago, Ziegler obtained limited tests, which appeared to support his story, the one where he walks into his furniture store, gets hit on the head, fights with an attacker, and is shot. But he's been denied more advanced testing of the bloodstained clothes, fingernail scrapings, and guns. 
Ziegler is now 73 and has been awaiting execution since 1976. Gerald Ford was president then. The man who put him away continues to believe that justice prevailed. Well, there was no reasonable hypothesis of innocence presented then or now. And when I look at what was presented, what the facts were proven, the facts that were proven are convincing. It would require a basic alteration of those facts for there to be any other explanation other than he killed them all. What could DNA show? Could it show that Edward Williams is lying? Could it? I don't think so. Could it show that somebody else shot him? I don't think so. Who else are you going to test? There was nobody else there. They've never been able to show that. No one's been ever been able to show that there was anybody else there that would be the mystery shooter. But he, according to him, there was no individual there. Anyway, there was a gang. There was a group that was in there that assaulted him. See, he's, 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 he's ruined his own case by his lies. That was Robert Egan, the former state attorney for Orange and Osceola counties. He had a storied career in Florida, weeding out crime and corruption. He won most of his murder cases and indicted dozens of cops for bribery and extortion. He wore seersucker suits, and his patient personality drew comparisons to Atticus Finch. Egan, who is 92 now and retired, told us he was a very popular man with every governor. We'll get back to the debate over DNA testing, but first let's take you to the night of the crime. It was a chilly Christmas Eve, 1975. This is Jimmy Yon, a former officer of the Winter Garden Police Department and one of the first people on the scene. So I heard the radio transmission, and I was right there in front of the Winter Garden Inn, so I just came down Dilda Street and turned in the front of Ziegler's store. I think I went in first, and then... Chief Ficky pulled in with his car, and Bobby Thompson pulled in with his car. They went to the front of the store. I went to the back of the store. There's a chain-link fence there uh, with a gate, big gate, sliding gate. It was closed. Tommy Ziegler came to the front door of the store and fell into the arms of another officer who loaded him into his car for a ride to the hospital. Ziegler had been shot in the stomach, and he told the officer that he thought he walked into a robbery. He said that a customer of his, Charlie Mays, had attacked him, and they might have traded gunfire. Jan drove to the police department to get some shotguns, which they did not carry in their cars. They wanted more firepower before entering the store, in case Mays was alive and armed. Well, we walked through the store, furniture store, has zillions of places that somebody could be hiding under a couch, under a bed, under, you know, anywhere. Just chaos in there as far as trying to find something. I saw a set of legs, toes was pointed down. And I said, he's over here. Well, everybody sort of started to 
come that way, and then I realized this guy's white. I said, this is not him. Mays, the man Ziegler had identified, was black. Somebody went in the kitchen area in the office, and they said there's a white female in here. So I went in there, and I looked, and I didn't recognize Eunice. She, she wasn't all messed up or anything. It's just that I didn't, I didn't recognize her. You know, she, she usually wore a pantsuit, which she had on a pantsuit then, but she was laying like a mannequin. I mean, it looked like that she was placed there. She didn't fall there. It looked like she was placed there. Charlie Mays, he was back in an area that had tile or linoleum. It, it wasn't carpet. And so was Mr. Edwards. And he was laying in a pool of blood. He had, uh, he had bled out, plus he, he throwed up also. He had, I believe I could see, I believe I could see one bullet wound to the head. And, and he was laying face down. So police walk in and find not just Mays, but two other bodies. One is Eunice Ziegler, Tommy Ziegler's wife. The other is Perry Edwards Sr., Eunice's father. The lights are out in the store. Police are walking with flashlights, and they're edgy, anxious. Later, officers would find a fourth victim, Virginia Edwards, Eunice's mother. There's blood and guns everywhere. The phone rang after Robert Egan and his wife had put presents under the Christmas tree. A homicide investigator was on the line, and he told Egan that police in Winter Garden had discovered four bodies in a furniture store. Egan, the prosecutor, was the man who would have to bring a case against the killer. He got in his car to drive to the scene. Winter Garden was a small town of 6,000 right on Lake Apopka in West Orange County, about 16 miles from Orlando. As he drove into Winter Garden, he could see blue police lights around the furniture store. I got out. Dr. Guillermo Ruiz, associate medical examiner, was there and met me. And he called me in his Cuban uh, accent. He sounded like... When he called me Bob, it sounded like Bop. <laughs> so he said, oh, good morning, Bop. So glad to see you. He said, come with me. I'll take you in and show you. And I remember him saying this. I'll, I'll show you exactly how it happened. So I went in with him. And inside the main door of the furniture store, Right behind that was a was a, a desk, 
I think where they did the uh, money business, behind that was an office, and the rest of it was just things, chairs, stuffed chairs, sofas, wooden chairs, metal chairs. Egan would examine the scene for 10 hours. He heard Winter Garden Police Chief Don Ficke refer to Ziegler as a hero. But just blocks away at the police department, officers were interviewing a man who claimed that Ziegler had tried to shoot him at the store that night. His name was Edward Williams. Williams, Ziegler's handyman, would become the star witness for the prosecution. Williams had arrived at the Winter Garden Police Department with one of the murder weapons on the floorboard of his Camaro. The 58-year-old carpenter told police he'd known the Ziegler family for 20 years and even helped build the store on Dillard Street. On Christmas Eve, Williams said, Ziegler asked to be picked up at his home so they could deliver some last-minute presents. Ziegler was not there when he arrived, but soon pulled up with two people Williams didn't know. Ziegler left and then came back alone. When Ziegler got in Williams' truck, the handyman said he noticed a patch of blood on Ziegler's pants. At the store, Ziegler went in the front and asked Williams to pull around back. Williams said he walked into the dark hallway, then saw Ziegler about five feet away with an arm outstretched, holding a gun. Supposedly, Tommy pointed a gun at him and clicked it like two or three times, and it didn't fire because it hadn't been reloaded. And Mr. Williams told him, says, Mr. Tommy, why are you trying to to shoot me? He said, I'm not trying to shoot you. Here, you take the gun and give him the gun. Again, that's Jimmy Yawn, the first officer at the murder scene, who caught up with Williams later that night. Williams told police he shoved the gun into his pocket and spotted blood on Ziegler's face. The handyman's pickup truck had been found locked in the back lot behind the Ziegler furniture store. He said he got scared, climbed the fence, and ran across the street to the Kentucky Fried Chicken, where he asked to borrow the phone. When he couldn't get through to police, he met a friend who drove him to the other car, the Camaro. He threw the gun on the floorboard. Mr. Williams was calm and cool, and he he wasn't freaked out about anything. He was just... He was just Mr. Williams. I'd talked to him before, you know, because he worked for Tommy. And there was, I, I didn't know him real, real personally, but I'd talked to him. There's nothing unusual about him. So as I said, Williams became a star witness for Egan and also one of the most interesting twists in the case. Imagine that in 1975, a black man shows up at the police station with a murder weapon and the police believe his account over that of the white businessman who was shot. Not only that, but police don't test Williams' hands for gunshot residue. His story seems to have been accepted without much pushback. Egan, the prosecutor, said Ziegler was counting on police to trust him over a black witness. Yeah, he was he was a racist. He was horribly uh, uh, twisted in that regard. He he had no idea that anybody would believe a black man's word over his. That was just unthinkable to him. A crowd gathered outside the furniture store on the night of the murders. A young detective, Don Fry, stepped through them to get to work. He got assigned the case because he was working the holiday shift. 
Fryst stooped to examine each of the bodies and the blood, sprays and streaks, droplets and smudges. The previous summer, he'd attended a week-long school taught by a blood spatter expert. Fry had learned by watching what happened when a Tony caliber bullet shot into a coconut. What Fry saw in the blood at the back of the store raised questions. He found spots where Charlie May's blood had dried atop the blood of Perry Edwards, Ziegler's father-in-law. If the blood had mixed when wet, Fry had learned, it would have blended together. So the two men had died 15 to 30 minutes apart. He also found a shoulder holster on top of both men's dried blood with minimal staining, indicating it had been dropped after the blood had dried. That didn't make sense. The sheriff's department is the one that started linking Tommy to it. it. Things just wasn't adding up, and they're the ones that made him a suspect. It, it wasn't us. I was sort of out of it at that. When they turned it over to the sheriff's department, well, all I did was assist them, you know, with you know, whatever they needed. But. Fry followed faint footprints in blood that were made with a rippled sole. Someone kicked in the door to the office, leaving an imprint on the wood. Again, the rippled sole. On the front counter's swinging door, he noticed what he called high-velocity blood spray. Blood also had pooled on the carpet. Someone had been shot there, but who? An hour after he arrived, Fry began to suspect something wasn't right with Ziegler's story. He was discussing the possibilities with the other officers when the police chief from a neighboring community brought up a rumor. He'd heard Ziegler was gay. What if his wife had found out? It's really a, 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 terrible, a terrible crime to kill four people like that. His own wife also had some evidence that never did go to the jury. And I had been told that she had professed her fear of him and that she was planning a divorce. Now, that would have been the most horrible insult that anybody could do to him, to divorce him, for a woman to divorce him. And I think that was part of his motive. But I found somebody, her hairdresser, and I brought her in and made a proffer to the court and she testified that Eunice had told her all of this, that she was afraid of him, she was getting ready to divorce him. So now, police are thinking that Ziegler was perhaps living a double life, and Eunice was going to expose that by leaving him. And there's the handyman whose story was convincing to police. And he wasn't the only one to raise doubts about Ziegler. At about 4 a.m., hours after the murders, another man approached a police officer at a restaurant in Orlando, about 20 miles from Winter Garden, and asked to report something suspicious. His name was Felton Thomas. He was a 26-year-old fruit picker who said he'd gone to the Ziegler Furniture Store with Charlie Mays on Christmas Eve to pick up a TV. They'd met a white man who Mays referred to as Ziegler's. Thomas had never seen him before. Thomas said the three men had traveled to an orange grove where the white man had asked Mays and Thomas to fire several guns out of the car window. 
It seemed as if he was showing them off. When they got to the store, Thomas said, the white man jumped over the back fence, picked up a pipe, and tried to smash a window to his own store. He couldn't get in, so he went home to get the key. It didn't feel right, so Felton Thomas said he didn't follow Mays inside. Thomas said he ultimately ended up in a nearby town where he started drinking. Around midnight, he heard four were dead at the furniture store, including Mays. Fry and other officers began to theorize that Ziegler had slain his wife and in-laws first, then lured Mays there with offers of a free TV. They thought Ziegler then killed Mays and stuffed receipts in his pockets to make it look like a robbery. Perhaps he intended to frame two black men and counted on friends at the Winter Garden Police Department to believe his story. You know, I didn't see him pull the trigger. I can't say that, I can't say 100% that he did it, but I can tell you that there's enough doubt there. And I know that he would be capable because he was a, he was a different person. They tried to paint him as a pillar of community because he went to church every Sunday. Jan said he and Ziegler had grown up together, but he didn't like Ziegler much. As a kid, Ziegler was a smart aleck, Jan said. He's not saying Ziegler's a bad person, but he does think he was capable of the crime. If the boy's not guilty, I'd be the first one to say, let him out of jail. Okay? If he's guilty, which everything up to this point says he is, then he got what he deserved. Don't just write the first part down, you write the last part down too. Because I, I ain't on nobody's side. I'm a fair human being to ever walk this earth. Besides the man that walked on water, I can't compete with him, but. <laughs> on the night of the murders, a deputy arrived with a bag of Ziegler's bloody clothes from the hospital and removed a suede loafer. It had a rippled sole. Detective Fry took the shoe and placed it over the lift made of one of the bloody shoe prints. It appeared to match perfectly. On the next episode of Blood and Truth. Back in those days, if you were gay, you were the raking, scraping scourge of the earth. Nobody liked you, even your own parents didn't like you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply.